Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we all are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John, Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two, and we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli watch one episode of Buffy a week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. Hey everybody, welcome to Season 4, Episode 3, The Harsh Light of Day. I'm back from Japan. This is your host with the least, uh, Dennis and John. Uh, and we are joined today, today by Michael the Virgin. Hello, I've only seen uh, all of Buffy up to Season 4, Episode 3, Harsh Light of Day. And we are joined by John Teach Lando. That's me. Uh, let's get started with uh, reactions. Audience reactions. Okay, so in reaction to Travis's uh, suggestion that Giles deserves to die. For, <laughs> I don't uh, think he meant I- deserve to die. He should be dead, though. He's, he's useless in season four, and I'm starting to agree. Uh, he, his, I think it was pretty much deserves to die because it was because he did something <laughs> wrong and Travis thought he should die afterwards. I There's actually a lot of reaction to this, like not just from the one you're going to quote, but we got some reaction on Twitter from Rich and everything. Uh, so, uh, Silver Spike One, who often comments on our, our YouTube channel, uh, commented, you wanted Giles dead? Question mark. Jesus, seriously? <laughs> I've never, I've never ever seen anyone say that before. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Travis wants Giles dead. That's just something we're yeah, going to have to know about. Yeah, this was a controversial opinion. Um, I think one of the things you find out when you're like podcasting with somebody and like you're doing deep dives of shit is like you really found out, find out what their like strong opinion sources are. And like Travis isn't here to defend himself and his opinion, but I'll say he is not into forgiveness. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I see where Travis is coming from. I mean, the, the breach of trust in what's that episode? Uh, oh, yeah, the one, and Helpless. That? Yeah, when the Watcher Council's like, let's do the test. Yeah, and Giles yeah. injects Buffy with uh, sleepy or power go away juice. Yeah. Yes, it, it's it. The breach of trust is pretty severe, and the show once they just kind of trapes on like nothing happens. So I get where Travis is coming from. I actually found his opinion on that uh, Willow and Oz should break up like more shocking. <laughs> I, like, I agree. I thought that was more shocking. I think that's more upsetting. Especially, yeah. <laughs> And so then we also got a comment from Wilson Tavera, who says, you guys don't really understand anything about Angel slash Buffy, question mark. Watch on the YouTube channel, Passion of the Nerd on Amends. Uh, so we're getting recommended to watch the, what I think is the most popular YouTube series uh, about Buffy, which I did watch a little bit. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good channel. That guy really knows his stuff and uh, has some insightful uh, points of view. But uh, Wilson Tavera, seems to think that uh, we don't know what we're talking about. Uh, my response to that is just lol. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but you make me laugh, Wilson. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to defend my like knowledge of my understanding of Angel slash Buffy to this professional wrestler. Well, I mean, I think people uh, seem to think that what we're doing here is like a fan podcast about Buffy. When what we're really doing is... <laughs> group therapy about our shared past and using Buffy as a catalyst. Uh, yeah, but I think we'd like to defend that I do think we <laughs> stick to Buffy a lot. <laughs> um, like, 
we do talk about Buffy for like a good hour or more every episode and we're not like mocking Buffy. We like do pretty deep dives of what we think the themes and shit are like, and I think we're fairly insightful readers of the text. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. We talk, we're friends. We talk about our shit. Like, I don't know what the big deal is. (laughs) So many other podcasts that talk about their lives. I don't, whatever. Uh, just thanks for listening. Um, I hope you continue to tell us what we did wrong every week. Um, <laughs> yeah, tell us what we didn't understand. Yeah. Oh, about yeah. Angel Buffy. Be specific. That'd be helpful. Yeah, as, please. As opposed, as opposed to, like, watch this other guy's opinion. Yeah, tell me what we missed. Um, I, unfortunately, like, I don't watch a lot of other Buffy media uh, because I don't want to get spoiled on the show. So, like, I deliberately don't listen to stuff and i'm so tantalized and interested though so like i have a huge backlog of like uh, like a list of things to consume as soon as i get through certain sections and like i'm on the cusp of being able to listen to a bunch of stuff which is exciting but uh i am wary of listening to some of these things i mean i am too i mean i've seen i've this is probably my like eighth watch through of buffy but like uh <laughs> i don't want to watch everybody else's commentary because i want to have my own opinions and it's, yeah. it's really easy to uh end up just restating somebody else's opinion it is yeah that, i i listen to uh buffering but i really try to i make sure i don't listen to an episode before we record for that episode so that's the, that's the only way i can do it because yeah you just subconsciously steal stuff like if you are trying consuming more Buffy, uh, there's so much Buffy in my life, dude. Like, <laughs> oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, I was looking back. I couldn't believe that my like original notes are like you know over a year ago uh, that I we've been doing this Buffy thing. In fact, it's like I think I had my first Buffy note from 2016. So like yeah. two years of this thinking, and like I'm like reading Anita Blake novel this weekend, and I'm like I'm fucking in this. Yeah, dude. Uh, my, man, um. I feel like we never really properly were like, hooray, Michael has joined the side of Buffy. Like, congratulations, Mike. You're in the cult now. You're going to, by the time this episode airs, you will have gone to WhedonCon. Um, so how was it, Mike? Gosh, let's insert my opinion uh, as soon as it's relevant. But I'm assuming that the show will be somewhat spoiled and I will learn whatever the major spoilers of the show are. So whatever happens in season seven, whatever happens in the TV series. I doubt people talk about the comic stuff. I'm sure it's just what happened on the TV show. Um, but I'll still want to watch it. Like even knowing the major spoilers for a film doesn't take away the moment by moment, you know, interest and like, you know, spoilers don't actually ruin stuff as much as you'd think. Cause it's like, Oh, cool. Darth Vader is Luke's father in no context. Does that make sense until I watch however many hours of star Wars. So that's and true. With, that the spoilers especially now with episode one through three. Sorry. Well, you are currently skirting an F on your predictions, so maybe this will improve your grade. Dude, I can't wait. (laughs) Going to get so many good prediction ideas. All right. Uh, Why don't we move on to the summary? The summary. A bad thing about going to college in the same town you went to high school in. Sometimes the past can come back to bite you. 
This week, high school is back with a vengeance in the form of formerly dead classmate Harmony, who tries to do harm to Willow and her amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. But Willow is saved by Oz, who provides some dingo action to protect his baby. Harmony seems harmless, even as a vampire, but threatens them. Her boyfriend is bad and mean and totally not made up at all. Buffy is having troubles with her own not-real boyfriend, Parker, who seems too real to be bad, until puny Parker pokes his pecker in, and then the prick peters out. <laughs> High school shows up again, as Xander's prom date, Anya, returns, not for vengeance, but for love. Or at least sexual intercourse. Harmony's boyfriend is totally real, and it's Spike, who's back in Sunny D after Drusilla dumped him again. This time, he's looking for a mythical gem that makes vampires unstakeable and able to walk in the harsh light of day. Buffy is preoccupied with being ghosted by pathetic Parker, and almost doesn't see Spike, the ghost from the past of season two, until in broad daylight, in the middle of the college campus, he throws down. Despite being totally invulnerable, Buffy still wails on him and steals his fancy ring. Now the gem of Amara will adorn the hand of an angel. <laughs> or will it? <laughs> Find out. All right, uh, let's move on to Great Lines. Great Lines. My favorite line was uh, Willow's, I'm your friend. I would call you repulsive in a second. I like yeah. that because I think that uh, describes uh, a lot of my friendships. I uh, only trust people who are willing to be kind of shitty to me. Because <laughs> people who are nice are probably blowing smoke up your ass. People who uh, tell you that you're repulsive are your real friends. All right. Uh, so I, I liked a couple great lines. These are all controversial lines probably in the show. But uh, Anya in the basement at Xander's place. I like you. You're funny and you're nicely shaped. And frankly, it's ludicrous to have these interlocking bodies and not interlock. Please, please remove your clothing right now. <laughs> Xander. And the amazing thing, still more romantic than Faith. Boom! What? <laughs> what? Those two were both lines I had written down that you guys beat me to. So I was like, yes. Oh, man. That one's so good. And then uh, this next one uh, from Parker and Buffy on like their date happening. Parker, you have a scar. Buffy. Yeah, right. Angry puppy. So I get to see any of your scars? Oh, mine are all psychological, says Parker. Buffy. Please, those are the best kind. Parker. Well, my father died last year. <laughs> Buffy. Oh, God, Parker. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring it up all this stuff. I'm bad, bad Buffy. <laughs> I like uh, in the scene, like right after that, like just when Buffy's trying to put together what people are talking about, just her dialogue on her own is really funny where she's like, puppy. Or no, she's like, different? Paler? Neck, paler, puppy. <laughs> I didn't uh, realize that, you know, until she brought it up, I didn't realize that Angel, like, biting into her to survive had caused a scar like that. So that was, that was a cool callback to that insanity. Yeah. Well, these scars are emotional, too. That's something um, I'm going to bring up in the kill count, but uh, it's a new game I'm going to play for the rest of the series is Buffy Scar Watch. Uh, oh. <laughs> sometimes it's on and sometimes it's not. Um, I have uh, a couple quotes from uh, Harmony. Can we eat a doctor so I can get a stethoscope and hear my heart not beating? Um, and ew, like you're too good to work a class. <laughs> too good to work a class blind made me laugh out loud like all three times I watched this episode. Yeah, it's such a good call out on like that cliche, that yeah. like, visual cliche. <laughs> and also just like taking the wind out of Spike's sails and just like calling him out. I just love that. Man, taking the wind out of Spike is so much fun. I watched this episode twice in a row. It was so funny. <laughs> I couldn't believe how funny this was. Yeah, Harmony and Spike are a really funny duo. Um, 
it's just a great pair. Uh, we'll get into it, I guess. Uh, so there is some new Buffy merch I want to talk about. Um, I saw that there's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer Slayer Stats, the complete infographic guide to all things Buffy, and I'm totally going to get it. Mike obviously can't get it, uh, but it's going to fit in so well with my kill count recordings and everything. Um, it looks really exciting to me. Well, cool. I'm looking forward to hearing those stats. Um, maybe we can, you know, share them during whatever episode they're relevant. Uh, yeah. uh, but between this and the uh, the Mad Libs, it's interesting that uh, Slayer stats, like that there's still Buffy merchandise and books coming out to this day. Yeah. Well, it's in a revival. Yeah. You know? Well, the, th- the thing that's missing is there isn't like a Buffy to share with your kids, right? Because all of people our age, like they need a young Buffy thing. To, I mean, I'm sure the reboot has got to happen, right? Some way to share Buffy with a new generation besides uh, a set of DVDs that haven't been remastered to, to Blu-ray, you know? To every generation, a Buffy is born. Yeah, inevitable reboot. One of us has to procreate so that we can uh, share Buffy with our offspring. I'll leave that to you too. I think that's your job, <laughs> Mike. You're, you're the only one who's married. You guys got this. <laughs> The kill count. So uh, I'm counting one human as died this week. That was the dude who was being drained. We didn't actually see him die, but I don't assume he survived that. No vampires died this week. Uh, Two humans were bit, but not fully drained. Um, Anya's on her second hair color, which I am now going to start keeping track of her hair colors. (laughs) What? I could have done with Oz, but it didn't occur to me. Um... (laughs) And it's the beginning of Buffy Scar Watch. Uh, let's see. Um, let's, oh, three sex scenes, which is a series high for an episode. Um, oh, yeah. And simultaneously, yeah. too. <laughs> uh, one Spuffy r- reference, um, and, which is Spike Buffy. And uh, two vampires staked but not killed. So those are the stats for the episode. All right. Let's move on to uh, the meat of the episode, Weird Noticings and Trivia. Weird noticings. Ah, yes, the meat. Uh, so I, Parker is such a big character in this episode, and he felt it to me like the character that gets made whenever the John Cusack machine gets broken. Like it's trying to clone <laughs> Cusack, and something happens, and then it produces a Parker, which is like an inferior copy of John Cusack. Because like everything about him, it's like. I was like, is this guy in another rom-com series? Because it's just like, there's, there's something about this 80s rom-com dude that's happening right now with Parker. I, wrote I think another, you're just I, trying, sorry, I think you're just trying to deflect, Mike, because uh, we, we called you a John Cusack clone a few episodes ago. <laughs> I called, I, uh, in my notes, I called him um, Entourage Spider-Man. <laughs> Doesn't he look like the dude from Entourage playing Spider-Man? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen Entourage. Me neither, but that's a funny thing to call someone. Uh, and then, uh, you know, just as an aside that happens, you know, we learned that Drusilla apparently was with a fungus monster. What? Yeah, I'm glad you wrote that note. Um, so she originally broke up with Spike for a chaos demon who's all horns or antlers and slime. <laughs> now she's just into fungus. <laughs> well, now I feel like she's got to come back. I thought that Spike would kill her or something, but like, it seems like there's this topsy-turvy life that Spike lives in. I, I guess I get into the predictions, right? 
which is like Spike and Drusilla have to get back together because he's so not over and so rebounding so hard with Harmony. So like that thing needs to spin around a few more times, whatever the merry-go-round of their their love life is. Anya's back, um, which I'm sure was a prediction of some sort. Uh, like I like that she shows up in Giles' apartment and I feel bad for both Giles and Xander for his pity employment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what is with that and also like if you were gonna hire somebody to help you like organize books xander's like the last person no he's not doing it he's not doing it because of xander's expertise he's doing it because xander needs a job and giles is a nice guy i've totally also also before like oh i'll yeah hire you to clean out your attic or whatever like giles's books are just organized alphabetically which makes me wonder if giles actually has a library science degree (laughs) maybe he just doesn't I think, here's my theory. Giles has already like pre-organized a lot of shit and he's like, it's organized alphabetically on this one bookshelf, which is already like the- Oh, I see. You know, demon mug shots or something. Like, (laughs) or my book of prophecies is organized alphabetically. By subject and then by title or something like that. Interesting. I was was shocked to see them in a scene together because those guys do not get along. (laughs) They don't have a relationship. And then for the show to be like, yeah, why not? Like, like this doesn't happen. Yeah, no one feels that better bad for Xander. But I, I mean, I like the explanation of like he's needs a job. He's got to do something. I didn't realize that he's getting paid for it, but that that does make sense. Like he's clearly not employed. Xander is like just floating around, and now he's got to pay his uh, own rent at his parents' place and uh, the food and everything. So that seems hilarious, though. When like Anya's like, "Come with me," or like you know, leave. Right, like she just doesn't understand how humans work. Oh, it's so good. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Biff Naked, who is the um, sort of the bronze artist of the week, except she's not at the bronze. Biff Naked is performing at the frat party at Wolf House. Um, so Biff Naked, as it turns out, is a, uh, a solo artist. Uh, she's had different band members over the years. And nowadays she is still making music, but she's also is a... Uh, a motivational speaker, which I really looked forward to making fun of until I actually watched some of her motivational speaking videos uh, on YouTube. And she's actually had like an incredibly difficult and crazy life. And uh, it's still weird. I'm not saying it isn't weird, but I don't want to make fun of her because it just doesn't seem right to make fun of somebody who's been through what she's been through. It's kind of interesting. You're hinting at it. Can you give us a I, really, I, I, I don't really even took really the know. Out of she, her sales for joking about this job. Uh, she only hints at it, but she's had some oh. abuse in her life, as, as what I gather. And uh, she is, she was like, uh, I, I'm not sure I have this right, but she was like, uh, she was like adopted by missionaries as a baby and then brought to like Kentucky and then like did most of her growing up in Canada, but she was born in India. It's a crazy life story. It makes no sense. Um, just uh, seems really wild, but uh, I don't really feel like uh, I'm going to look good making fun of her. Right. Uh, yeah, I was going to make some school assembly jokes. Did you guys watch the new John Mulaney stand-up? There's some good school assembly jokes in there. Oh, no, I haven't. Uh, on Netflix, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His kid gorgeous. It's funny. Uh, but I guess the guy he made fun of, like, responded. He made fun of, like, this, sh- this cop who came to his school, like, every year for four years. And he was like, that was an exaggeration. I did not wear a cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so what's going on with this frat party? So the, 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 the frat party at Wolf House, I just wanted to point out that 
both Parker and Spike sort of seem to think that the frat party is a nice place because Harmony's like, take me somewhere nice. And Spike takes her to the frat party, (laughs) which I think is like not out of character for Spike because obviously the whole thing with Spike in this episode, he doesn't care about this relationship. And then Parker is like, oh, I'll take her out on a date. Let's go to this frat party, which I feel like is also within his character, but is funny. Like it's funny in both counts, right? Yeah. Uh, And then also the the frat is, uh, it's like, gamma alpha pi if you look at the sign which is it's the gap frat (laughs) which is a nice funny little little jab i enjoyed that but the big thing about this party that bothers me is that biff naked clearly is entirely too hip to be playing at at a frat party yeah she had like a video on mtv at this point right yeah 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 no 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 she's not playing frat parties that's not happening well maybe you know some kids rich parents were like you can have this like it's also entertainment budget for this party. It's it's not just that she's too high level. It's just it's aesthetically wrong. It's a frat party, and like she's got like she's like tattooed head to toe. Yeah, and is like I like super her doing cool. the slow dance number that they need. This is my other question. Yeah, why do do frat parties have slow dances? I feel I've never been to one, so I don't know. But I feel like that's weird. I don't think is the song they're slow dancing to even appropriate as a slow song. I mean, it's not yeah. like it is. It I think it is. We are, we are the lucky ones. All right. It's a beautiful song. It's not Wild Horses. <laughs> that's all right. No Wild Horses. <laughs> yeah, what a shitty date. Yeah, it's a shitty date. Yeah. Somebody stole the back of Buffy's shirt. So I, I love in that party how crazy it must seem for Buffy when, uh, or like rather for Parker when like, Buffy and the Spike and Harmony interaction thing happens, which is beautiful. It's such a beautiful mess. I feel like they tried to do messy interactions like this in season one, but they didn't work because like we didn't know enough about the characters. I'm thinking of one where it's like Angel and Owen and Buffy and Willow, and they're all like trying to get and Xander all in one place. And it's like, uh, this is supposed to be some quirky interaction here. This is a perfect quirky because it's like you've got you know, Buffy on a date with someone she's never been on a date with, and then Spike with Harmony, who's completely an unexpected person. It's just a mess. And then it, like, breaks apart, and Buffy runs off. And so, like, you know, when she gets back to Parker, he's just like, oh, is that some guy I used to date or whatever? And she's like, no. <laughs> like, But, like, if someone runs off after someone, and, like, I feel like I, that would set off so many alarms, but it just yeah. shows that Parker's a shithead. That like it sets off no alarms, and his only concern is, did you date that dude? Whatever. We're all young people. It's cool, or whatever. This insane world he lives in, where that's normal. I like also Parker has just seen so many neck wounds, like because he noticed Buffy's, and then like Willow's got one, and then the dude in between oh, yeah. and Spike is like way <laughs> way drained. <laughs> like. I don't know. This is just one of those great, like, you spent, like, three hours in Buffy's world, and you, like, saw a shit ton of weird stuff that you're going to ignore, because, like, (laughs) that's not what you're into. (laughs) Well, I I love Harmony in this episode. She's a serious liability. I can't believe that Spike keeps her out. I get it's, like, a rebounding thing, or however they frame it-ish, but, man she wants to leave the lair, which gets them, you know, in trouble, whatever. She's wearing completely the opposite clothes to be someone that's in a tomb digging, whatever, like this mining <laughs> operations happening. It's just like, so everything's off. And then, uh, you know, she reveals Spike's plan to get the gem of Amara, like when in, in just a passing, like it's completely unnecessary. 
<laughs> and then for Spike just be like, Hom! Or whatever, like, at her, it's awesome. It's just like, I love the mis- how big a mistake he's made rebounding with her or whatever this thing is with Harmony and, like, how that relationship problem compounds. And it's just, like, it's such a great message for life and how you don't, like, you can't date someone you can't be in public with. You cannot be <laughs> with that person. Like, he's such a wrong person and is fucking with every aspect of his life. And, like, you can't date that. And as an adult, you don't normally... It would seem foolish and infrequent for those kinds of things to happen, but it's not. Like, people frequently date the wrong person that's, like... So it clearly exposes so many things that are wrong. Oh, I just love it. So good. It, it, it's cool, though. I think it's kind of masterful the way the episode uh, manipulates our, our sympathies. So that, like, when we, we start off, like, we're like, you know, fuck Harmony. She's terrible. And, like, she, we know she's terrible from before. And she's just a punching bag. And she's dumb. But then, like, the episode takes this sharp turn where all of a sudden we realize that, like, oh, actually, she's in an abusive relationship. And we suddenly feel sorry for her. I think it's kind of cool how... It, I feel like my emotions took this like hard right turn with Harmony exactly when the writers wanted them to, which I think was kind of neat. It's like a it's like a Jonathan moment of like this like background character suddenly getting like their moment, like their uh, their turn where you get to like see their inner life a bit. Right? Yeah, and I've been listening to the season one podcast, and you guys call out Harmony, uh, like. <laughs> And I get it now, but uh, yeah, we kind of manipulated you a little with like the graduation episode. Not- oh yeah, and you call it graduation. You're like, oh, but she's she got bitten, but she maybe she didn't die. Like, <laughs> there's a vampire. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed uh, Oz and Giles bonding over Velvet Underground records. It was just really, it's just a sweet characterization and. Uh, it made me go and get that record, and this is, uh, which I I've, I like Velvet Underground. I just didn't have that record, and this is still not my favorite Velvet Underground record. It's kind of kind of more melodic, and it's not it's not as good as the first self titled album. Is all I'm saying, but <laughs> it's just so sweet that like the way that they bond over that album is really neat. Yeah, I feel like we already talked about Harmony a little bit, but when you get to that next kind of scene where Spike and Harmony are together, like in a bedroom scene, it's like. I just imagine this is how it feels like to be a divorced older man with a younger woman and just having almost nothing in common, nothing to talk about and like being super dismissive of the things that she wants. And just like, I, I don't know. It, it just like everything about it felt wrong, but it was an interesting window into that world. And it felt so voyeuristic. Ugh, it's a painful scene. Hmm. That scene where anyway, it, the harmony and spike kind of like, what's their world like scene? <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, this is the very first time that this show has ever mentioned chains and not used them. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Xander, and uh, I, I know that you know we bash Xander left and right, but we have to do it again because I feel like this is almost like a new low for Xander because uh, he's he's lecturing Anya about like how sex can have emotional consequences, which have, on its face is fine, but he prefaces the whole thing with like. I'm actually turning into a woman as I say this, but <laughs> sex has feelings in it. Oh my God. Ah, it's the worst thing. It's the worst thing. I do like his line right before that, where he's like saying how they shouldn't go out. And he's like, and you're an next vengeance demon, which to be honest, it, or, <laughs> as much my issue is yours. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, like, I feel like Xander is really relatable in this episode and like the weird position he's been put in and, 
it's actually handled really well, except for that phrase. I'm actually turning into a woman as I say this. God, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Well, you know, he's as much a victim of the patriarchy as anyone else. And it's like to have feelings, to be able to express feelings makes you a woman, right? Yeah, like, no, totally. He needs to bash that patriarchy as much as Buffy does and get over some of these like gender issues. Yep. Step it up, Zand. Come on. Come on, Zand. Step it up. It's so annoying that those kinds of characters exist because that actually hurts humans as they watch this because it makes them think that emotions belong to women and that you're not supposed to. I mean, it's everything's so broken. Thank you for calling it out, John, because it's like a, it's a reminder about, you know, vulnerability is cool. <laughs> and that's, I think, why like people want vulnerability and not to like, this is totally random. You could write a thesis about this, but the emo music genre exists for a reason. And it's because I think that we, you need a way to like have a lot of emotions, like to like for men to be vulnerable. And as singers, songwriters, it's like, it's an okay place to be vulnerable. And so it's like, why it's okay to be a male that doesn't talk about your feelings. That's into emo music. And like, it's different. Anyway, this is an aside. Sorry. No, it's not an aside at all because not for nothing. I think that's why I watch Buffy. I think Buffy is a, a nice place of negotiation because it's a genre show that like as a dork, I feel like com- it's in my comfortable space. But on the other hand, it totally encourages me to experience and express emotions. And I feel like for us as a bunch of dudes like doing this podcast and even before we did the podcast, like the role that Buffy played in our friendship, I feel like was as this like, it was a place where it was okay to talk about feelings. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I mean, I've said this before that like, I watch particular episodes of Buffy that trigger emotions in me when I need those emotions triggered. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things like, you know, there's like um, this big thing right now with comics, uh, comics gate, you know, which is similar to the gamer gate. And oh, it's okay. this, these assholes who are like really into like the right wing of like the, the alt, right or whatever of superhero dumb and like they're trying to take it back from like you know the from like the women and the queers and stuff and like it's really manifesting in this dude whose youtube channel is called diversity in comics and he did this whole like it's a big long thing but it's fucked up and the people are complete assholes and one thing i like like you know and they're trying to say like superheroes belong to like men and like blah, blah, blah. and if you look at the history of superheroes that's never what it's been about but you could never do that with Buffy. You could never be like, Buffy belongs to like the men and like, you know, cause like, that's just not how it like set itself up with to begin with. So like those assholes can never have this show, right? And like, you know, I mean, not to say the show's perfect and everything, like it's not like, it could do better, but like, it's just always gonna belong to, uh, you know, the folks who aren't those assholes. <laughs> No, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with the Gamergate thing, but man, that sounds, that, that stuff keeps reoccurring, right? Like, I yeah. think we've all probably read at least one story, bit like long read about incel stuff in the past few weeks after yeah. that terrorist attack in Canada, right? Like, yeah, this, uh, I mean, to get into some of the details, the diversity in comics guy who's anti-diversity in comics, he did a Kickstarter for his own comic that got like way funded because these people our legion you know um but then a lot of stories didn't want to pick it up because the comic sucked and these guys are assholes um and the diverse and so then the diversity in comics crowd started attacking those shops and one of the shops got broken into and like smashed and stuff and stolen and um they're now also attacking mark wade because mark wade encouraged people not to buy the comic and so they're like 
oh, this is like an attack on competition and you're against the free market and like all this dumb shit. And it's like, I don't think Mark Wade was, was afraid of your of competition with you assholes. Um, so it's like, it's shit that's happening right now. Um, and I'm I not didn't totally know about this. It, uh, but yeah, they're like attacking store owners and shit. Um, people are a-holes. Anyway. <laughs> How about Xander's fold-out couch? Oh, Xander's fold-out couch made me so sad like i want xander to win we all do uh i'm sure things will improve from fold out couch uh i have a prediction xander will get a bed but that's another thing we can get to <laughs> is there um is there a season attached to that will he get a bed by season seven or i think by the <laughs> by the end of season five xander will get a proper bed and it will be a big deal He'll be so excited. Hey guys, and they'll be like, "That's a bed," and he'll be like, "I, I know." know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to pull something up related to uh, the quote you just have about, and it was a really, it was a quote that really connected with me. So I just pulled it up because I wrote it down. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of this incel culture, the probably this diversity culture, defines itself by being insensitive to suffering in the way that only people who have never really suffered can. That is to say, mostly young men protected by anonymity. And like that, that one really spoke to me. Anyway, that's in a random aside, but I wanted to share that. Hmm. And I feel like teenage boys ruin everything. Yeah. Yeah. But like as a former teenage boy, I did my best to ruin everything. (laughs) I think we did. Yeah. I mean, it's just like what I, I, I'm, I'm constantly asking myself though, like what is the thing? Cause I feel like any one of us could have grown up that way. And I think about that too. Honestly, why are we not that shitty? And like, I think for whatever it's worth, like, uh, you know, our parents are pretty left wing. So that, that probably helps. But I think, I do think that not zero credit for us not being terrible goes to having, I mean, goes to Buffy, like seriously, wow. because again, well, just again, like it well, wasn't have it. So I don't get to take, you know, Buffy doesn't. Yeah. Not for you. You probably did grow up as an asshole, Mike, but the, like, there's <laughs> probably uh, our influence through Buffy. That's yeah. That's it. Yeah. But I do think it, it, it I, again, I do think it was helpful that and I'm probably just restating what I said before, but I do think it was helpful that, uh, you know, as dudes who maybe don't necessarily like immediately talk about feelings right away that we had Buffy as like an example of people who do talk about feelings, like the characters on Buffy, the way they do talk about feelings and the way that they like, you know, and that, that, that we can use the episodes as a cathartic way to like get into feelings or as like uh, an example for like what's going on or as a, like a entry point to talk about what's going on. I feel like there have been like actual concrete times when that's been useful to us. Uh, and, uh, you know, for whatever else is fucked up about Joss Whedon or whatever, like, I think that that's been really good. Uh, not to get all library on this, but like, read a book. Like, uh, books uh, transport you to other characters' perspectives pretty quickly and you feel all their feelings. And it's a great way to empathize with other people. I didn't have Buffy growing up, but man, did I read a lot of books, and I felt like that's like a really helpful, safe place to find out. Do you feel like it. all the Hemingway you read in high school really helped you? Uh, <laughs> no, definitely not Hemingway. Hemingway, I, I was into because I couldn't understand. I like I couldn't understand. You know, he was had a very good journalistic style of writing, which I appreciated the brevity that he's so revered for. But uh, he also like had a masculinity that like was incomprehensible to me, like living with no masculine icons, and so I was super fascinated by it. In retrospect, it was because I had no strong male character in my life. I didn't have a hmm. grandfather that was around. I didn't have, 
you know, my dad is a pretty feminine male as far as males go. So I didn't have like that character. And so I feel like Hemingway is a, you know, you look for a male energy for sure as a young man, they'll mm-hmm. give you some guidance. And without that, you, yeah, you like, you're going to go find it. Um, I don't know if I, I didn't, I didn't like join the, the military. I don't think I took the lessons from Hemingway <laughs> that he was trying to give, but I was certainly fascinated by it. Great. Yeah. No, I was just saying, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 go for it. Yeah. You're, we had you had a good answer you had a good response (laughs) yeah uh mike you got the next oh yeah so i love the scene where buffy is calling to hear a voicemail right is that that's what's happening right i didn't sorry no one brought up the technology thing because like hey hey guys remember before you stared at incoming texts and just looked at the ellipses that maybe someone's writing you called your fucking voicemail (laughs) and maybe you called it a few different times and if you never called your voicemail you checked your voicemail or whatever. You did something to, you know, you just waited and didn't know. Yeah. Uh, it was just like, that was, I remember what, that brought a lot of feelings back when I saw that part. Uh, John? Uh, this is dumb, but I noticed that uh, Spike's, one of Spike's henchmen is wearing a Misfits shirt. And I feel like uh, being a Misfits fan when you're a vampire is a little on the nose. Just like, it just shows what <laughs> that guy is. <laughs> <laughs> like if you were to ask a vampire like what music do you like and if they said the misfits you'd be like yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, what's your favorite movie dracula like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot of that this episode i mean that's also what the antonio banderas thing is right because that's mm-hmm. oh interview yeah yeah but yeah i i noticed the the misfit shirt also uh, <laughs> i don't know you man know you-, you might as well embrace it like yeah, I guess so. I mean, maybe that vampire's been alive so long, he's gone through, like, phases of, like, trying to, like, not do the vampire thing because it's, like, gauche. And then, like, he's just like, fuck it, I'm a vampire. He's got to be aware of the irony he's living with because, like, we saw in season one, you see Crushed Velvet Vampire, right? Like, <laughs> classic vampire. Yeah. But clearly, it's all done with a sense of irony. Like, I'm a vampire. I'm living in that. I'm really a vampire. Misfits guys, like, yeah, the ironic sensibility about being a vampire. Like, John, if you were a vampire, you like, what clothes would you wear? Uh, probably, like, not. You would want to have a vampire reference that wasn't a vampire reference. So maybe you wear a Lost Boys T-shirt or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think probably it's oh, true. Dracula 2000. Yes, Dracula 2000. Yes. Yes, Jerry Ryan. I mean, look, if I turn into a vampire, I'm not going to change my whole aesthetic. Like, I'm not going to. No, you're dialed in already. (laughs) I'm wearing a Halloween t shirt right now. Yeah, I'll be our Nightmare Before Christmas hoodie. (laughs) I mean, you know, if you're going to live forever, you've got all the time to do all the aesthetics. Like, you can go through a hot topic phase and then go through uh, whatever else phase. You know, you can do a Banana Republic thing for a century and then just change your mind. It would just be. It would just suck to be turned into a vampire in your mid to late thirties, and like. Would it suck? <laughs> or would it bite? <laughs> It'd be past the point where you can like really work on your fashion. Like. <laughs> I would love to move beyond fashion. Love it. I feel like. <laughs> just get married, and you can you can just do what you've been doing on repeat. Because of my work, I'm like so tuned into fashion, but it's not affecting my own aesthetics like you know i have to be totally aware of what like um the trends for the for next season are and stuff but it's not affecting like the way i dress it's just like what clothes i know how to know to approve and not to approve you know what are the trends for next season Dennis? uh well pink is in um suspenders are in uh flannel's gonna make a comeback um 
space. I feel like you should not do all of these things simultaneously. You shouldn't wear pink flannel with suspenders. Or should you? Oh, dude, that'd be cool. <laughs> you don't want to be too cool. You just take one element at a time, one cool element for, to draw focus. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of into the pink being in. I think that looks good. Uh, you mean salmon? No, I don't mean salmon. <laughs> don't be afraid to say pink. Let's see. Uh, I think it's super gross to watch Buffy being manipulated by a pathetic human. Um, the Parker stuff is really rough to, re to, rough to rewatch and like watch the manipulation happening, you know? And I just feel like Buffy should be, uh, be beyond humans, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's so sad to see this kind of play out. But like, I fell for Parker's tricks too, but I feel like he just takes a sharp turn where he becomes a completely different character and it doesn't feel anticipatable. No, Rewatching it, you like see the manipulation. You see his use of language and him using his dead dad as like a come on, which is like fucking pisses me off. Yeah, but it, it felt genuine to me both times. I, I, I know what you mean though. Like that's the way they play it in the episode, like the way the script is written, but the way he acts, it's like, I, there's nothing in his behavior that makes me say like, he's a liar. I also yeah, think, I think like, it's somewhat ambiguous. I want to get into this in themes actually. Okay. I also think like the writers named him Parker because they're Spider-Man nerds and they're like, <laughs> there is a name we'll have a lot of sympathy for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about this final fight. Oh, please. So uh, they made a mistake. They fought in daylight and the spike Buffy fight where you see everyone sees them switching out the stunt doubles. And it's like, they're actually different heights when they do uh -huh. the stunt doubles. And it's such a big difference that like, you can't not notice it because it just feels like they should have been cutting closer or something different. I know they want to show the stunt doubles from a wide with hair in their face and stuff. So you don't see that they're different actors, but man, this scene is like, you just see it again and again, like double, double, actual, <laughs> yeah. double, actual. And it's just, I couldn't believe how it was, it was done so poorly like that. But I know like Spike's got to use this Gemma Mara in daylight, but damn. Yeah. The show is not built for daylight. Like the show knows that it does best in the dark and like it couldn't compensate for it. I also really love one, like during that same scene in the Parker part of that scene, that campus is totally filled with humans. And then once the fight breaks out, it's totally empty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, it just is not built for this. It's not built for broad daylight fights in the middle of a campus. Like, well, that's why they have the, yeah, the broad daily fight, because it totally distracts you from the fact that there's no one else in the fight anymore. You're just like, <laughs> like fixing it'd be great if really they just turn, if they like pivoted the camera and like one field over, it's still filled with people and they're just ignoring it. They're like, meh, Sunnydale. So if we do a ranking for season four of like worst stunt sequence, I mean, this will be it, right? Like, I also like once they rip, once she rips the gem off, he like immediately jumps into this like large, open sewer access there's <laughs> <laughs> just in the middle of the campus like some kid's gonna fall in that there's no... uh, i spent so much time in uh college trying to find a way to get into the tunnels so i could <laughs> run around in the tunnels but uh, yeah. they were they were too well guarded so yeah this is totally unrealistic <laughs> oh man also the show clearly wants to keep spike alive so it's just his hair catches on fire oh my god yeah. i like like he finally gets staked buffy like stakes him and it's the one time it doesn't matter she rips the gem off and he just immediately escapes and they like make no effort to chase him in the, uh, I also like, he may, maybe have, would have won that fight if he was, if he didn't mention Angel. 
It, yeah, it's weird. Like Buffy's got these rage turns in fights. <laughs> yeah. And, like it's like where her rage builds. If you mention Angel or try to destroy that umbrella of hers, man, ugh, watch out. If you could just like you could kill Buffy if you could somehow manage to like keep her calm the entire time you're fighting. Like play soothing music. She'll never get up to that next level. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, John? Uh, I just want to say that the Gem of Amara is basically an invitation to being dismembered. Like, it seems like this really powerful thing, but like the glove of Minigon, it's basically just wearing, like, wearing a sign that says, cut off my limbs. I just, I think the problem with it is it doesn't, like, increase your fighting ability. Like, right. if you're going to get beat up, you're still going to get beat up. You just, like... So, I mean... I, I get why it's the like the holy grail of vampires and like why it seems like the solution to all your problems and why it's legendary. But I also get why nobody ever really uses it because we see it, somebody use it on Buffy and like immediately it gets pulled off his finger because you know what's going on. And then on the next episode of Angel where uh, the Dim of Omara has like a little comeback, we see basically the exact same thing happen. <laughs> and it's just like, as long as you know what's going on, that it's the ring. It's just yeah. like, fuck, cut his arm off. Yeah, he definitely shouldn't have been like, I got the gem. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because Spike is an idiot. And uh, he's just, he's dumb, but articulate rage. I, I, I like, I love Spike. He's such a fun character. He's so, he's angry and articulate and he knows everybody's faults and their weaknesses, but he's too emotional to lead any campaign to do anything. Yeah. It's like, it's so frustrating. He just needs... Like, he's too emotional to pick a good partner for himself. Like, his partner is always going to be bad for him, um, like, in the show. Always going to cause problems. It's just interesting character, emotionally forward vampire that's also very articulate. Love it. Love it. Who knows if we'll see more Spike in the future. Clearly, he's got to come back. Clearly, he ran off. He wasn't murdered. He should have been killed, but he didn't get killed. So he's coming back. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think this might be it for Spike. I think that might be the end. <laughs> he just dies of his hair wound in the sewer. Hair wound. <laughs> Blondie bear. Uh, all right. So um, that is it for weird noticings. Um, before we do questions for the group, why don't we move on to recommendations? Recommendations. So if you like, uh, I think the actress is Mercedes McNabb, right? If you like Harmony and you want to see more Harmony, I recommend Hatchet. Uh, it's the uh, slasher movie uh, um, Kane Hodder did uh, after his Jason movies. It's pretty good. It's like set in Louisiana swamps and it's maybe about a ghost or maybe not. Uh, and Mercedes McNabb's in it. Um, uh, it's about Harmony trying to survive alone in the... Uh, Minnesota wilderness. I'll have to rewatch that now that I know her from Buffy, but that was a really fun movie. Right. Yeah, good recommendation. Uh, I also recommend the movie black Sabbath, which I may have recommended before. I'm not sure. Good. Uh, but it's got Anthology a really horror. Um, ring uh, scene. Uh, it's the movie has like three different uh, short stories. And one is like the evil housekeeper steals the dead old lady's ring. And I mean, it's a simple story. She gets haunted, but it's like just, done perfectly um and you know it's it's hard because there's just so many like fantasy and folklore about magic rings um 
but they populate like you know everything from Norse stories to like you know Jewish mythology to everything um so but you know it's all fantasy and folklore not as much horror but I will recommend um if we're talking rings we got to talk Lord of the Rings so uh you know everybody's seen <laughs> do we <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's got to be there. So I recommend the Ralph Bakshi 1977 The Hobbit. Uh, oh, good call, dude. I think that's the best of his animated Hobbits uh, or animated Rings movies. Um, Probably his best animated stuff if you want to just do a Bakshi real quick. If you want to do a quick Bakshi. It sounds like a horrible sex act. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's uh, my recommendation for Rings. I mean, you know, there's a billion ring things. They it shows up from Harry Potter to, you know, whatever the Sorcerer's Apprentice. I don't know. Questions for the group. Uh, this is a question for Mike the Virgin Poli. Uh, I just wanted to know if you were surprised uh, when we revealed uh, uh, Harmony was a vampire. Did that did that surprise you at all? So it was hinted at heavily by this specific group of people I watched the show with, you guys, <laughs> graduation. So I knew that she was bitten, but I didn't know how she would come back or in what way she'd be revealed. So when she mentioned, so when she came back and like was bothering Willow after a show, whatever, I was like, oh, she's a vampire. This is Harmony. She's a vampire. And huh. then when, when Harmony says, I've got a boyfriend, I was like, oh, it's Spike. Well, how? Why? Cause like, I, I figured like it had to be Spike cause there's no other, like person I can think of that would the how, wait how did you know it was Spike so in part Hulu ruined this because Spike like appears as a thumbnail in the uh, episode so Hulu. like yeah I mean it sucks like the DVDs ruin shit there's no way to like totally do this <laughs> yeah but, like yeah there was Spike in the thumbnail so I knew Spike was in the episode also everyone's eh, whatever you guys all hinted that the spike was in this episode anyway yeah so like i didn't understand that they were together exactly like that can't be right and then when i saw it i was like oh, that's crazy so i was totally surprised and it made me enjoy the episode so much because like this is such a train wreck relationship how is this happening but the writing really supported it and then of course that great reversal you know with uh you know following harmony and being empathetic to her like so good yeah this is probably this is my favorite episode so far it's so good i also wonder about like so she got bit during graduation day. Those were the mayor's vampires. But she didn't go to France. But the mayor's vampires were given the order to like not feed because um, he needs to eat. So some vampire like in the middle of the battle not only feeds on her, but then is also like, I will be your sire also, right? Like, I don't know. Vampires are dumb. That was a weird, weird use of your time in the middle of this battle. He probably got staked because of that. Uh, so I ask, um, and this is just a question because I haven't seen, the f well, I don't know if it got brought up or not, because um, I haven't listened to your guys' episodes yet. I'm super excited. Um, is this the first time we've seen or it's been mentioned Buffy's Angel Scar? I think so. Definitely mentioned, but I, I haven't looked for it. It was the first time I'd seen it, but it was brought up. I wasn't thinking to look for it. I doubt they're doing the makeup outside of that one close-up. Uh, I will tell you, uh, they randomly put it on like, Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, there's times where it seems like it should be on that it's not. And there's times when it's on and not mentioned throughout the rest of the run of the series. Really? I, yeah. When you're watching the show it, it, in enough HD, you notice it like, 
That's interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, John, you got a, another question? My question, because uh, Harmony wants to uh, make Antonio Banderas a vampire. Uh, what celebrity would you turn into a vampire? For what purpose? I guess what <laughs> Well, that's up to you. Uh, well, I'm this assumes really... we're vampires, right? Yeah. yeah, you're a vampire. You can make any celebrity. We're going to limit it to celebrities. Obviously, you'd make your loved ones a vampire, whatever. But like, who would you make a vampire of celebrities? Uh, I would make John Mulaney a vampire because I'm really enjoying his stand-up. And I think it wouldn't fit into his routine at all. But uh, once he adjusted, he would have some really good observations about what it's like to be a vampire. And I'd be able to relate. I'd be like, ah, I get this. Oh, so uh, you would, as a vampire, vampirize comedians so they could have observations that you would understand about what it's like to be a vampire? Yeah, because I don't think enough media <laughs> would show me like my day-to-day as a vampire in a way I could really enjoy. Um, oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine if you're a vampire, you're like having a stand-up comedian who understands your experience would definitely do like go a long way towards making you feel less lonely like he's got he's got a bit about how he like accidentally chased this lady because he thought she was running for the train and she's actually running away from him and he didn't like recognize and then his bit is like but i can't be like because i don't see myself as a grown man as a threat so but i can't be like no it's okay i'm not a man i'm a little boy (laughs) (laughs) that's a really funny bit like, but him trying to chase somebody for real as a vampire, he's got to have, <laughs> gotta have some think about that. Okay, Mike, who would you vampirize? Oh, man, this is so tough. I like the concept of getting voices you like and turning them into vampires, right? Uh, yeah, so like a Stephen King vampire would be really cool because I feel like Steve, I'm reading a lot of Stephen King lately for whatever reason because yeah. of this podcast. And he's great. Uh, he's, he's got a great voice. Um, I, I wonder what would happen if he went deeper into and became a vampire um if that would change his voice or whatever i'd be interested in that uh yeah so we'll just say stephen king i would vampire, you, i would it's a, too late now but i'm going to answer this question as though it's like 1992 and i would definitely turn brent spiner into a vampire so he can keep <laughs> playing data because he said like the, the, the reason they had to kill off data in the horrible movie uh star trek nemesis is because like Brent Spiner was like, I can't keep playing a character that doesn't age because I'm aging. So like, go back to 1992, turn Brent Spiner into a vampire. He can play Data forever. That's the solution. That's nice. I've always I've felt the same way about <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. Of like, I mean, there's no way to do it, but it would be it would have been amazing if in the Star Trek movies every character got older except him. You know, right? Like, yes. you can't do it obviously because Leonard Nimoy is a human. But, like, Vulcans aren't supposed to age. It would be really interesting to see him looking the same as he did in the series with, like, next to old man, like, DeForest Kelly and stuff, you know? Oh, man, that would make, like, uh, Kirk slash Spock stuff really weird if you had, like, potbelly Kirk and, like, young Spock trying to make out. Uh, That's disgusting. (laughs) All right, I'm going to add James Marsters to this list so that he could play Constantine. Because I guess he never never played Constantine. It was played by... What Keanu Reeves in that movie? That one movie? Yeah. And then for the show, they like I don't know the actor's name, but they got someone who actually kind of looks a little like. Uh, well, plus obviously he could play Spike forever. Yeah. Right, right. He could play Spike, which would be great. So at some point, I'm going to recommend this movie, Brimstone and Treacle. <laughs> Sting's first movie he acted in, and it's like the movie that 
Bissett and John Tottleben saw and thought like, oh, he'd be a good actor and like basically cast Sting as Constantine in the Swamp Thing comics because of this movie. So at some uh, point, I'm going to recommend it. I just don't know when yet. But you're oh, not recommending it now, so don't I watch can, it. I'll recommend it now. It's <laughs> random. I was, wait, I was waiting for like a Spike really acting like Constantine moment, but it got brought up. So Oh, I didn't know that that was a thing. That That's rad. Yeah. So <laughs> this is, if you're a Constantine fan, this is like one of its kind of the origins of, of Constantine. Is that only available on VHS? Do I don't not... know. I have a VHS copy, obviously, that I just pulled out from my shelf. Uh, <laughs> Let me dig out my VHS player from beneath, you know, all the cobwebs and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of keeping people alive, like, so they can keep creating media, which sounds like, like zombie work, right? Which is kind of a <laughs> But like, as a person who consumes media, you're like, you didn't make enough with your life. You have talent, and talent is a curse. And I will curse you with vampirism. So you'll live forever and continue to entertain me. <laughs> but it would be like, it would be kind of diminishing returns because, you know, like, you know how like, uh, when you're like your favorite comedians become successful and then pretty soon all of their jokes are about like hotels and airports because that's their whole life because they're successful. Like, yeah. it'd be a horrible thing where like, ah, oh, he's a vampire comic now. <laughs> Just a bunch of fucking jokes about coffins and shit. Yeah, but as think, a vampire, I'd enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, obviously, let's make Neil Gaiman a vampire so we can all deal with it. Because, like, did anybody you ever read his essay or uh, listen to his essay on art? He did, like, a college, um, whatever you call it, commencement uh, speech. Mm. It's really famous. Yeah. Anyway, great stuff on art, but it's basically, like, exactly what you said, where it's like, okay, you do one thing that's successful as an artist, and now every you have, because you're successful as an artist, the art goes away immediately. It's just, it was just beautiful and it's, it's beautiful. It's a great essay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would like Kurt Vonnegut to be alive and a vampire and writing Kurt Vonnegut things. Though I say that like the last stuff that he put out before he passed away was not, I was like, I like some of the stuff in the earlier era. So it's almost like it's diminishing returns anyway. Like there's a certain era that you like of a thing. And it's true with music, right? It's like the band's first or two, first two albums are always the best and like they can never repeat that same success, not to get all dusty on this, but you know, like yeah it's hard to get you know that exciting thing to continue happening there's an energy that happens in a certain time in your life there's a few comic artists who are i would have liked to advance like bernie wrightson just recently died and he was still doing amazing work up until the point where you know he had like you know he couldn't work anymore uh but he had uh some great unfinished frankenstein work that got finished by kelly jones and kelly jones did a good job i'm not like shitting on him but it would have been great if i could have vamped him and he could have finished his frankenstein work uh <laughs> shit yeah this is another podcast where we just talk about people that shouldn't have died and then uh we talk about stuff they could have done fuck yeah this is a dark path john that's a good one uh, <laughs> mike um how do you uh ask your next question and try to define it for me i started this initially i wrote like uh would you be with anya right but that's like a weird thing like yeah you know like a masculine response but i think what i'm asking is like have you ever been anya have do you identify with anya and so it's like did you ever feel do you ever feel like anya (laughs) and the answer is yes like i feel like anya not all the time but sometimes (laughs) she's totally empathetic i get it i also i feel like one of the things i'm actually trying to do at work or in my like daily life more is like when i don't understand something actually ask instead of being like oh yeah totally fuck i don't know what you're talking about like i'm trying to be better about like 
admitting when I don't know shit, you know, which is a weird, like, I don't know if it's a masculine thing or just a me thing or something. It's hard for me to admit when I like don't understand something. So I'm trying to be better about that. So Anya is really good at like honesty. Oh, that's, that's a good, that's a good way to read Anya. I like that, that she doesn't have the, she doesn't pretend like she knows what's going on. She just says she doesn't know what's going on. That's a good point. So have you ever felt like Anya, John? Uh, specifically in relationships or? I think in relationships. Yeah, I've definitely been in relationships where I'm like, I don't really know how this goes. Will you tell me how this goes? And, you know, that's actually generally works out pretty well. I think I feel like when you first wrote the question, did you ever know an Anya? I thought you meant like, have you ever had somebody approach you and be like, we should have sex now and it's weird. And you're like, uh, okay. And I feel I like that's what I initially meant, but I feel like that's just a, you know, that's like a weird question that yeah. like maybe goes the direction. I don't feel like going cause yeah, know, we've all had awkward relationships at different times. So it's like, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. We've all had that. I've definitely had awkward relationships. I think all relationships a little bit are like that where you're, you spend a period of time being like, what do we do now? Why, what are the rules of this thing we're doing? Uh, I think that we happens should, pretty yeah, much every like, time. Yeah, we should interlock. Why don't? Why aren't we interlocking? What is going on? Yeah. Why like, aren't we or why are we? Yeah, yeah, those uh, are Why are or why aren't? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's just a perfectly relatable character in this episode. And like, despite the alien nature of her approach and, you know, of course, the Xanderisms of like feelings and those belonging to women. I mean, that just like, it felt really uh emotionally interesting everything every scene in this episode was interesting and her scenes like were in were really interesting and such such a bizarre juxtaposition with the spike scenes because spike is like hugely emotional and so is harmony and they're both feeling everything about their relationships in some ways we can't understand like i have a hard time understanding harmony and then you cut to anya zander and like anya's just like trying to understand someone that's so simple and struggling because that person is trying to hold out emotions as something he needs. And then like, you know, it's, it's, he doesn't basically need them. Uh, he just pretends that emotions are important um, in order to, for reasons I don't understand. Uh, but I, I felt like, you know, I was meant to empathize with Anya in those scenes. Cause I, I feel like she's just laying it out so clearly and like, that's where, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've, I've done that in relationships. Yeah. And then like having someone explain to me what relationships are is the obvious reply. <laughs> yeah. I, I also like it coming from Xander who only basically knows relationships through like, not through personal experience, right? Through something else. Um, yeah. I yeah. That's like, a good point. I feel like Anya and Willow have something in common, like some deep misunderstanding of humans in common, which is really charming. But Anya is a little bit creepy. Uh, anyway, do you think Giles hides his TV when the kids are coming over? Yes, I do. <laughs> I didn't. It didn't occur to me until you asked the question. But I don't think those stacks of things were there in accident. Only because of the way Giles reacts when they find the TV. Yeah, he's so like, been really. It would have been really easy for Giles to just be like, "What? Obviously." I have a TV, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or to be like, there's a stack of books in front of it. I have it, but I don't watch it. He could have said that. But no, he gets all like flustered. <laughs> I think you he know? wants the kids to think he's cooler than he is. He doesn't yeah. want to be. Can I just, this is an aside related to this, but like, 
I hate news on movies because there's a, no- a noble version of news that has answers. And like, <laughs> that is never the fucking news. The news never knows what's going on or has solutions for problems. And like, it's always some random problem that you can't solve or, or just random shit. I never, like when they turn the news and it's like, oh, blah, 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 tunnels and stuff. It's like, come on. Uh, I feel like uh, to answer this random aside, John needs to like insert the clip from the end of uh, write a story about the day you'll die. And it <laughs> you turn yeah, on the I was feeling that was the news brought man. up. <laughs> Exposition is like really hard to naturally write. It's really hard to like give it to characters and it's really hard to like, it feels false when it comes from a TV. Like, I don't know. I try to avoid exposition writing as much as I can, which means all my characters just live with mystery. Well, it works well for your writing, Dennis. I read a good Stephen King short story recently that had a really good news drop where yeah. it was just at the, be- it was at the beginning of the story and then it jogged the mind of the narrator to think about a bunch of other things that were related and then went into the story. Yeah, that's and, cool. he, and he even revealed the scenery in a news-like way so he was copying the voice of the narration, which was from the news initially. I don't know. It was just very smart. But uh, in the middle of a thing, like halfway through an episode or one act in to have news drop in the next thing that we should do. No, the news is always behind. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, usually they get all their exposition from the books, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true, right? Otherwise, it's a book. I prefer an old book as a reference. <laughs> it seems more on point for Buffy. Yeah. Virgin Predictions. Where do we stand? What's been going on, guys? I've missed so much. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that a ton has changed since you've been gone. Mike is currently at a 61.6%, which as a teacher, I can tell you is a D minus. If uh, Michael was one of my students, I would be calling his parents. I would be uh, trying to catch him in the hallway, trying to say, listen, man, you're going to get an F. You're going to fail the class if you don't make a change. And I would be asking. I we were getting away from the American grading system on this. To... <laughs> no, Mike said he wants to get away from the American grading system. But again, that's what my students say. And that just doesn't, that's not how it works. Why can't we grade on a, grade on a curve, Teach? Oh, I don't know if you can have a curve of one. He is I'll, I'll, I guess I'll do summer school. I'll watch Angel, whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, some old predictions. Uh, we have a prediction that's a bit of an old chestnut a bit of a sticking point and i'm glad travis isn't here because in season one episode six mike predicted that xander will have sex with a monster he doesn't know is a monster a prediction that i think at this point we really don't need to get into an argument over because the fact is if anya's not a monster it's irrelevant and if anya is a monster it's irrelevant because xander knows exactly what anya is so it's sort of a moot point so this prediction, regardless, just stays open. Am I right about this, guys? I think you're right. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's... Uh, Dang, guys, not, Dennis is the only person that can, you know, you're connecting with about this. Yeah. Um, but okay. I, I agree. I agree. This one uh, might be a little bit more of a debate. Uh, in season three, episode 13, Mike predicts, Faith will get slut-shamed by Xander in a future episode. So Xander says that... Uh, 
Anya is sort of like, whatever she's doing, it's still more romantic than Faith. Is that slut-shaming? What do you think, Dennis? You know what? When, when Mike predicted this, I was like, I think he's wrong. I don't think this will come up. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm willing to give it to him. Like, it's do, not exactly- do you think it's slut-shaming? I'm kind of feeling like but, it's not. All he says is that Faith is a little less romantic or that she's less romantic. I don't know if that constitutes slut-shaming. That seems all right. Maybe it's a, radical. a bit exaggerated. Okay, hold on. So Xander was raped by Faith. More Correct. Well, no, that's not. Well, okay. So Xander had consensual sex with Faith and then there's an, a, what we think we, we, we termed an, uh, an attempted rape. Correct. You know, he should have been using the consent app because it wasn't clear to me. He didn't touch the app to say, yes, I consent. I was, it was unclear to me how consent worked in that episode. But anyway, my point was uh, Anya, who just very clearly lays out how the sex will proceed, that they have parts that interlock. And all, do you including the positions. Sex, yeah. Including positions, I'm sure, that they'll be in, is uh, a way more, um, way more articulate about the consensualness of the matter. But it's it's not about slut shaming because it's not saying that Faith is a slut. It's like Faith is a rapist, <laughs> and that someone that clearly outlines what's going to happen uh, is the kind of consensualness that Xander appreciates. And it is, I mean, the, the joke about the romance of it. Neither is romantic. I think that's fair, Mike. I, I think that uh, Xander is not at this point slut shaming Faith. So it could happen later. So that one's still open. Yeah. I just okay. thought bringing her up at all is such a callback at this point, right? <laughs> it is a callback. Uh, it's a, okay. It's a callback that brings a loud chuckle to those watching the show. <laughs> okay. In season three, episode 21, Mike predicted that there will be a sort of a PTSD reference to graduation in season four, episode one. So yes, totally when happened, totally happened. Harmony shows up and says, big snake, huh? Is that really a PTSD reference? What do you think, Dennis? Uh, well, I want to know why Mike thinks it's like 100%. Because Mike so, was so sure of it. Oh, dude, it's so sure. Like, I'll, let, I'll bring up the scene, but like they're totally PTSDing together about how crazy graduation was. Like, that's, it's not like, oh, how was college? How's France or whatever? It's about graduation first off. And I'm glad they address it because it's like, it, it is the elephant in the room for them to talk about that no one talks about. Uh, and it's like, I mean, Harmony died that day, right? So right. that's definitely like, that's a yeah. day for her. A day she'll always remember. But she really does bring it up in the lightest terms possible, which maybe is a PTSD thing. I don't know. Uh, what do you well, say, yeah, Dennis? She... Uh, well, I don't know. Um, I haven't decided yet. Uh, well, she continue. wants to bring it up in the lightest of terms possible because absolutely she's turned into a vampire and she's trying to eat Willow. Like she doesn't want to be, you know, like, oh, and I turned into a vampire that day. Like she wants to make it sound like she might go to Paris or whatever. She's trying to, she's struggling with the Buffy problem of season one. How am I a vampire, but also, you know, a young person? Like, how do I combine these roles in a way that makes sense? And she can't be one or the other. And so she's like trying to be empathetic and like connect with someone she knows who then can be her victim. And that's as far as she's thought through of it, through it. But the, the fact that like, yeah, she became a vampire then, like that's the ultimate PTSD. All right, I like Mike's argument. I'm, I'm willing to give him this, this PTSD. All right, I'm going to uh, go with Dennis. I'm not going to argue this. That one is confirmed. Okay, season four, or sorry, rather, uh, on the uh, season three recap episode where Mike was making general predictions about season four, uh, Mike predicted that uh, Xander is going to find a way to have a relationship with Anya. Now, this one's interesting because I feel like you could make an argument that Xander... <laughs> 
found a way to have a relationship with Anya. You could make the argument that that is something we need to leave open because maybe Xander will later find a way to have more of a relationship with Anya. Or you could argue that this one is definitely denied because clearly the opposite is happening. Anya is trying to find a way to have a relationship with Xander. I don't know what to do with this one. <laughs> Dennis, what uh, do you think? Is this, this seems like it's very much into the semantics of the word of the term find a way. Yeah. Not about the, but if you, if you read the prediction as just, he's predicting there's going to be a relationship between Anya and Xander. If that's the case, it's confirmed. Well, because it has to be. Then I, I think, think, I think it's open. I don't think they're in a relationship yet. Okay. I think the reason I said find a way, and I'm sure I say this differently in the actual episode, but like, I what I think is, I said that because Anya wants to have a relationship with Xander. Xander has to rationalize the relationship for it to exist because she just wants it to happen. He has to find a way for it to make sense to him for them to have a relationship. So that's where I think like this is maybe sort of confirmed because he's found a way to rationalize having sex with her or like to be with her, but it's not really a relationship. It's a hookup. Right. So like I'll, I'm willing to wait to see if this continues and I assume it will because it's hilarious and interesting. And I, there's so much more you could write about their relationship. Um, anyway. Yeah. I'll, I'll let, keep that open. Find a way. All right. We're leaving that one open. Xander finds a way. We're leaving it open. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, back in the first episode of season four, Mike predicted that uh, Dingo's Ate My Baby will play a new venue in season four. Now, this one's a little tricky because at the point that Mike made the prediction, we knew that Dingo's Ate My Baby had gone on tour. They'd been to Monterey. We knew that. So it wasn't so much that we thought they would never play anywhere, but anywhere other than the bronze. It's more that we hadn't seen them do it. So in this episode, we know Dingo's Ate My Baby is about to play in LA, but we haven't seen them play in LA. So do you want to leave this one open or do you want to confirm it because they say they're going to play in LA and it sort of happens off screen? Um, well, I haven't watched season one, episode three of Angel yet. Do we see them play in that? Not in that episode. No, and I've seen it. We don't. But, but Oz is in that episode, right? Briefly, yes. Yeah. He's driving the van that's presumably is full of bandmates. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say it's happened then. Like it happened off screen between those two episodes. Okay. So then it says confirmed. Okay. All right. Kind of wish I had Travis here to talk some of these over, but this you is know, if all. If says it happens, it happens. He's all man- confirmations today. No denials today for, is that it? for Mike. That's it. Wow. So Mike has gone up a percentage point. He's at a 62. Brilliant. And my only new prediction is that Xander will get a real bed by the end of season five. I love how much time you give that. (laughs) (laughs) Two full seasons to get a bed. He needs time. He's got to get maybe out of his parents' house, but I'm not sure. So my hedge is real bed. (laughs) And I could say Spike will return, but we know he's going to return. So it's not worth it. You guys will be bothered if I do that. All right. Uh, yeah, that feels cheap. Any predictions about Anya Xander? Anything specific? Or you just want uh, to keep letting this It's going to be a real relationship. Xander will apparently find a way for that relationship to happen. I feel like I have a prediction about that. Is there an additional prediction to make? Uh, they'll break up horribly and it will destroy the world. Uh, <laughs> what? On this show? Xander and Anya will have a horrible breakup that will split the universe. 
Say that's that again. Prediction. Xander and Anya will have a horrible breakup that will have devastating devastating effect on the universe. On the universe? No, I mean just on the world. Like it could be like a wish like episode, but it will be because of the breakup, something really fucked up will happen. And I think she will have a horrible outcome. It, it, it's not that the breakup necessarily will cause it, but just that Xander, when Xander and Anya break up, there will be devastating consequences for everyone <laughs> in on the show for everyone <laughs> fuck and then it's like well what about giles he would say <laughs> uh you will have devastating consequences for most of the people in the show <laughs> for most of the people beyond them beyond the two of them people <laughs> beyond the two of them okay uh, uh, <laughs> i'm just guessing okay but she has crazy wish powers. Like every time she's involved, something so fucked up happens. Like the way the universe is split. Like there's no way the writers couldn't let that happen again. It's totally got to happen again. It's too much fun to write in the wish universe or whatever they call that universe, the dark universe. Wish first. It's called the wish first. The wish first. Oh, that's fuck, what, that's what the fans call it. It's definitely going to happen. We got to go back to the wish first. It's just like how Star Trek can't resist like the holodeck episodes, right? There's, they can't resist these wish first episodes. There's going to be one in season four. <laughs> Obviously, the parallel in Star Trek is to the Mirror Mirror universe. Obviously. Not the holodeck. (laughs) Obviously. And also, Star Trek can't fucking resist, apparently, the Mirror Mirror universe. Yeah, good lord. See fucking Star Star Trek Trek Discovery Discovery. and what a fucking train wreck they made of that. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Why can't they? It's like every writer is like, oh man, when I get to write Star Trek, I am going to write... I guess a Mirror Mirrorverse episode, but I meant to say Holodeck episode. I will write the ultimate Mirror Mirrorverse Holodeck. I will say that... More like they're... By the way, I don't know a Mirror Mirrorverse episodes. No, Holodeck is all about like being able to experiment with different genres Mm -hmm. and like doing an outside of genre thing. Like they do a Holodeck uh you know like a sherlock holmes episode they do a holodeck western episode yeah, the western like, they get, it's all datas uh, uh fistful of datas that is m- the second worst star trek the next generation episode in my ranking <laughs> have you ranked the entire series no but i've ranked my bottom two <laughs> is it the naked now and fistful of datas no 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 naked now is not that bad uh it's uh the worst one is uh is shades of gray the clip show episode all right yeah from they have a clip show episode on season one. Yeah, it's one. really bad. It's in season one. It's so bad. Is it clips to Star Trek, like the original series? No, no. It's, no. it's Riker. It's... it's Riker-centric clips from one season of a show. It's so bad. Anyway, so on to Buffy. <laughs> uh, a, a show we don't ignore and we focus on. Um. <laughs> All right, let's go to, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's go into themes and deep stuff. I just felt like this episode's sort of morality around sex was a little bit strange because um, it seems like the message is that you really can't have sex without feelings or consequences. There's no such thing as casual sex on Buffy. Um, I felt a little bit conflicted about Parker because on the one hand, Parker is like a sleazy douchebag, like pickup artist character who like we should all hate. And the show clearly wants us to hate him. I hate right? it. I, I mean, he seems hateable. On the other hand, I think you it's possible to watch this through a lens of like, I mean, he didn't do anything officially wrong. If you like, if you read it as Parker said all the dead dad stuff and all of the live for now stuff, totally I like out of cynical, like sleep with me, like just to get laid, then yeah, he's a horrible person. 
arguably though, he's, you know, he's a young person in college and so is Buffy. And he, what he says is honest that he didn't honestly didn't expect Buffy to have these feelings and honestly didn't expect Buffy to do those, to like see it in this lens. I think there's at least a possibility for that. And at least it's interesting. At the very least, it's interesting that the only person who's allowed to have casual sex on Buffy is Giles. Because Giles has casual sex two episodes ago, and that seems pretty cool. It seems like the show is cool with that. But it's interesting that, like, Buffy can't have casual sex, or at least she, she is unable to have sex outside of emotions. And Parker can't have casual sex without being a douchebag. Uh, it's interesting that, like, um, Anya and Xander can't have casual sex. Like, Anya, like, proposes that sex will be the end of feelings. And actually it's the beginning of feelings or like she can't feel unemotionally attached at the end. Right. That like, they like, it's supposed to be cathartic and it's supposed to be done. And that's not what happens. And then, uh, we have the relationship between, uh, harmony and spike, which is supposed to be mainly sexual, but then like harmony has feelings and like is involved in this like abusive relationship as a result. So like there is no sex without a deeper relationship going on exemplified for us in this episode that's all about these different relationships and we're obviously invited to compare them yeah like but like i think that's interesting like it's interesting that we're given no positive example of casual sex which i mean in my life hey that's true that's that's been my experience (laughs) as well but like uh i i I think it's a little bit strange it seems almost like slightly puritanical that like the show doesn't want to give us some example of positive casual sex Uh, i don't know um I mean, because I think we're directly supposed to compare the three simultaneous sex scenes. Right. Um, but I think the twist is that the, the, the way it's structured is like, we're supposed to think that the, that the um, Buffy Parker scene is the like better sex, right? Or like the, the more passionate one. But that's the one that turns out to be the twist is it's awful. Like, because he's right. awful. Whereas the xander anya one feels so, like looks so like mechanical proposition of sexual intercourse but like that's the relationship that actually has feelings and it's more mm-hmm. about kind of directly comparing those than it is about making a broader statement about casual sex um in general um but i think yeah i i think it would it's more about i'm looking at it more from a character point of view than a like larger statement about the universe and it's like i don't think any of our main characters are looking for casual sex really like yeah i mean that's, that's the thing i think xander articulates about himself which is probably figuring out as he's speaking the thing where he calls himself a woman like is like articulating that that's just not what he wants right yeah that's fair i think you're right there's probably no reason to read it as like uh, a statement on the ethics of sex broadly you're probably right about that I mean, it's how you read it, and it's fine. I'm just looking. Yeah, I, that just what isn't the POV I brought to it. I guess. I mean, if you were a college student watching this, right? Like, you come away with like, oh, sex has consequences, right? Like, there's some kind of entanglements. Though I, 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 I actually, ugh, I think there's the less Parker... consequences than before when it was your boyfriend turns into a monster. Like, the consequences here are more like mild emotional consequences, not like the way Buffy previously had been like sex rips the world apart. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And like, and and again, I feel like that reads with my like life experience, which is like sex does have emotional consequences, but also you move on. Isn't it interesting though, that like consequences in high school for sex are apocalyptic. And then in college, it's just like your feelings hurt. 
right? Like it's just how interesting that transition is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this season of the show, uh, like suddenly sex is different now on the show, and it is more ca- casual, I guess. Like there, yeah, there is less apocalypse connected to it. Um, and I want to bring that up with because. Parker basically does the exact same thing Angel does where he changes after sex. Um, But Angel did it with like through this metaphor of becoming a monster. Parker is just a normal human. Um, And it's like, it's obviously like purposeful repetition. Like she wakes up in the empty bed, just like she did before. Right. And she's going through the, like, he disappeared just like she, just like Angel did. Right. But it's like without the heavy connotations of like, he's out slaughtering people and, forming the judge or whatever um so the show is kind of its view on sex is like growing as you get out of high school right yeah that's really interesting because like i think and i and again i feel like that makes sense like the it, it in high school you live in the you live in a small world and you feel like everything's apocalyptic everything's the end of the world and you think that's what's going to happen is when you get in the real world, that's when the real consequences happen. But actually, right. in a way, it's the opposite. You move on to a larger world, and so your scale in the scheme of things shrinks. And so, like, just when you think, like, the real shit starts is actually when you realize that nothing, like, very little matters. <laughs> that reminds me of in uh, episode two of Angel, Cordelia has a great quote where she's like, it's so easy to date in high school because you have so much in common. Like... Being monster chow every other week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I like that. That, that, that. I never thought about it quite that way. That like, it's actually interesting. The show does feel like the sense of stakes actually goes down after season three. At least, at least in the short term. Like, it feels like yeah. things get less high stakes. And again, that's kind of what happened to me. I feel like after, like, after high school, like, things got less high stakes. Well, that's, that's just it's like a true of life in the United States, right? The high school narrative is so powerful. And then once you get out of that narrative and then get into the college narrative, which is, it's just a different, it's a different one about apparently about self exploration narrative, right? About learning and about this weird learning community that you're part of. And then like sexual experimentation is apparently okay in this phase, right? Like it's just this, it's not what's true about you and about the, it's just like true of the world. I don't know. I, I'm. I guess like I, I'm annoyed by Parker because I think he's an asshole, but then he's protected by this concept of college as this safe sexual exploration space. But it doesn't change his behavior, where he is clearly inviting something more serious and then pretends that he's not. Like yeah, the well, the stakes are not clearly set up up front. So I mean, I he's an asshole anyway. That's, and he's he's taking advantage of the system that college, of the, the college structure that he's like, you know, he gets to live the storm lifestyle. <laughs> Right. Yeah, totally. And like, you know, thankfully she doesn't become pregnant or whatever might happen in a real college show. And like, you know, now they're interlocked in some way because of that. Or did a interlocked on you on you, you know. There's no impregnation that's happening. Right, cuz she has a condom. She even talks about it. Parker didn't talk about condoms. Yeah. Not it. Uh, yeah, but I think I think the moral is sleep with an Anya not with a Parker. Definitely. Who clearly? <laughs> yeah. um, so this isn't really a theme. I mean, it's just my kind of analysis of this episode is this is the first episode of the show that I ever felt didn't tell a complete three X story. Um, it just ended, uh, and I'm 
like maybe it's just a question but it's like is this to lure people on into angel to complete the story or is it a transition episode to the show making moving towards more long-form storytelling um and i don't really honestly know the answer to that question i'll find out as i continue to watch season four well it's clearly Uh, a trick to get you to watch angel and it is a truly a trick because i watched that episode of angel and i was if we have an angel aside right now just that the the ring of Amara, I thought would be a clearly magical and important gift that Angel <laughs> destroys. <laughs> and I'm, and You're mad so about the, it? <laughs> I am mad about it because Angel's sense of redemption doesn't involve him walking in daylight or helping people in the daytime. But yeah. he clearly experiences pure fucking bliss when he's walking in the sun for a second or whatever in that show. Anyway, I, I, I'm I'm shocked that. He destroyed it. That was a stupid move. I'm sure the show will find other ways to get him in the daylight because he fucking loves it. But uh, I was just annoyed that, anyway. I didn't think it was I, shocking I, at all. I thought it made, made goddamn fucking sense because like, we know he's going to turn evil just because of an orgasm or whatever. Like, it seems completely reasonable that uh, maybe he shouldn't have this thing. It is. Um, it's from I think it's a thing in superhero shows a lot. I mean, shows. Fuck. In superhero stories. Uh, where like the good characters continually turn down power whereas the villain wouldn't right and it kind of bugs me as a cliche because it's like over the long term you're going to just keep getting weaker the villains keep going to get struck getting <laughs> like you need to you know you need to power up at some point yeah there's no superhero uh, retirement community like you yeah. have to fight this guy like how many times does spider-man turn down power right because he doesn't you know, because it's not noble enough, right? Uh, eh, anyway. Uh, the point was about it not being a complete story. And so it, it's uh, the ring is passed to Angel, you know, and like Oz is going to take care of it because he's going to go to LA anyway. And like, I, I, I was in Angel rejects the ring. And so that's kind of the end of the story. And this feels like every fucking Marvel story too. When they do the off like offshoot storylines, you're like, oh, this is probably gonna be a really compelling and meaningful crossover never is yeah it's always just like oh cool reference 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 regular story plays out the end like and the universe is not influenced in any meaningful way the end and like this this felt like that for me um and so it was definitely a lure to watch angel for sure yeah episodes one and two in angel uh, one and two in angel are awesome love those three weak and then uh the (laughs) except for the spike scenes in the opening where they're so good but uh, it also like that ending where three women are in pain, clearly in pain simultaneously is like, well, we've got to see what happens. I'd like to see them happy. You know, I'd like to see their relationship issues resolved. Like, yeah, it does feel very hooky in the way that it's designed. I agree. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know if it's, it felt, it feels like more long form storytelling definitely than season one. Season one wouldn't have ended like that. It would have ended like, right. even if it was an incomplete storyline, the gang would be together and you have a sense of the story completing itself and that things were going to be okay, even though they're not. It would have made a joke. Like there was that amazing joke. I don't remember what episode this ends where they're all like talking we're about doomed. how fucked. Yeah, yeah, we're doomed, right? How fucked up. Yeah. How doomed or how fucked up the relationships are. There's a couple of episodes that end like that in season one that are just awesome endings in retrospect. And here it's just like, cool, open-ended, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't uh, give us a tight ending, and I find that frustrating. Because um, the show is usually so good about its 3X structure and everything. And 
uh, drops it on this episode, and I think I purpose. Because um, I, I made a prediction before I watched Angel that Buffy, and I didn't include this prediction because I watched the Angel episode, that <laughs> Buffy was going to be on that episode of Angel and that like there would be some resolution for the Parker relationship. Uh, clearly she didn't go. But like they imply that this shit's going to get resolved and maybe Angel will resolve this triangle of romance of confusion and whatever, and it doesn't. So anyway. Yeah, we'll have to watch next episode of Buffy to find out. I'm actually super looking forward to the next episode. It's one of my favorites of this season. So stay tuned for that, everybody. (laughs) For fear itself. Uh, Yeah, I've been uh, your host, Dennis St. John. Um, You can buy my comics uh, if you search my name. Um, (laughs) And uh, you can listen to me on other podcasts, like Two Dummies in a Dumb Movie, where me and David Yoder are idiots uh and i'm also on smallville some his smallville podcast sometimes somebody save me from this podcast um so that's what i'm doing when i'm not watching buffy i'm watching smallville (laughs) no wonder you're so great on this podcast wow you're so cool (laughs) (laughs) uh what's everybody else doing where can we find you uh at michael poli on twitter and i'm trying to stream on twitch on mondays we'll see how this effective this is but uh, you can follow me on Twitch. It's Michael Pulley on Twitch. And then I'm also doing this podcast. And I'm going to be finished with the zines shortly. So we need some way to get you the zine. But uh, yeah, so we're going to do zines of every season. So somehow we'll figure out a way to get those to you. I'm sure there'll be information about virgin.com and in this podcast. All right. Have a great week. We'll see you in hell. <laughs>